church. If you're still sitting there, that means you're beyond third grade and you can open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Haven't said this in a while, but pastors always do themselves in. They have all this great music right before they get up and then all they do is speak. So, uh, but we have an important thing to do too, and that is to explain the Word of God. This morning, uh, we are going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, not all 58 verses. So don't get excited. Uh, we will be done long before that. Uh, this morning at the sunrise service, we looked at the first several verses. I like to read them because that's the background. That's the introduction to this chapter. But then we're going to pick it up at verse 12 uh, for the sermon this morning. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive, which also you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul made something very clear. And the clear part he made was this is not something that's just a philosophy to him. This is not just something he heard about. This was something that is absolutely a part of his life. So he was simply turning around and saying to them exactly what he knew from the Word of God, but also from personal experience. He was passing on what had been passed to him. And you'll notice, he says, also. He was not saying, I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm so much more wonderful than you. I'm more valuable than you. I am more important than you. No, he didn't say that at all. What he said was, we're in this together. Notice that word also, 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 also. They're in it together. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we are all one. We are equal. Why? Because not a single one of us has anything to offer. That's more important than anyone else. In fact is, the Word of God makes it very clear. We have nothing to offer that would commend us, make us right with God. It all had to be done by Jesus Christ. That was done on the cross which was the payment for our sin, and the resurrection was the proof that that payment was accepted and applied to our lives. Appreciate the songs that have been sung this morning so far because they set this, the stage for what we're going to look at at this point. So if you would look at chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has not been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Paul just said, I preach to you that he died for our sins, he was buried, that he rose again, and there were people saying, the resurrection really isn't all that important. 
Because he said, if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, what are you going around saying there's no resurrection? Because our resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are absolutely tied together. You cannot separate the two. It's always been that way, always will be. Why they were saying that, I have no idea. But when you take out the resurrection, you have just another religion. You have someone who died for their cause, a martyr. That wasn't Jesus Christ. He didn't die a martyr. When martyrs die, they're dead. They don't come back to life. Jesus did. That makes Christianity different than anything that the world calls a religion. The world, and in fact is everyone in the world, has some sort of religion. Something that makes them feel like they're good enough. That there's something more than just this life. Verse 13 goes on to say, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. He said, if you're saying there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ didn't rise either. Again, goes together. If you say Christians, believers aren't raised from the dead, then Christ didn't rise. The two must go together. In fact, is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the resurrection chapter. It explains the resurrection. If you want the account of the resurrection, you go to the Gospels. In the sunrise service, we looked at Mark chapter 16, where it said that they came to the grave as the sun had just risen. Right now, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 27, because we're going to look at a little bit different background, and we're going to see that before it was even light, they started out for the grave. But by the time they got there, it had become light. But in Matthew chapter 27, verse 63, uh, they were uptight. Because Jesus had said, and quote, After three days I am to rise again. Remember, the Jewish people were not looking for Jesus to be their Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah. They believed God had promised a Messiah. But what they were looking for is someone to come on on a white horse with a sword and a spear and a shield and to politically bring them salvation from out from under the oppression of the Roman government. That's what they wanted. They wanted a political solution to a spiritual problem. Jesus didn't come with a political solution. He came with a spiritual solution. In the future, you need to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 19, you will find he is coming back on that white horse. And he has a sword, but it's the word that comes out of his mouth. And he slays all those who are against him. But in this game, case, he comes on a donkey. One that hadn't even been broken. <laughs> That's a miracle in itself. I've watched enough westerns and seen a few rodeos in my life, and uh, you don't ride an unbroken animal. <laughs> You're going to land up in the dirt. He comes in. He comes in as a humble servant. 
One who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And so they said, we think his disciples are going to come and steal him away. And the deception will continue on. So they said to the people, you have a guard. Go and make it as secure as you know how. Now, a lot of people say this is the Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. They may be right. I find that not quite to be the best answer. Could be, I could be wrong. It really doesn't matter which one. Because the Roman soldiers, if something happened to the tomb, they're going to lose their head. So they are going to be on their toes. If it's the Sanhedrin's guard, uh, if he rises from the dead and he's not in the tomb, uh, they get exposed because they don't believe he's going to rise. So both of them have a vested interest to make sure that stone stays where it is. That the body stays in the tomb. And nobody gets in to steal his body. So it really doesn't matter which one it is. And so they went and they made it as secure as they possibly could. And then they put a seal on the stone. Anybody moves it, the seal will be broken. You know somebody was messing with it. And then we come to Matthew 28, verse 1. And it says, now after the Sabbath, and remember, the first day of the week in their calendar started what we would call 6 o'clock in the evening. And it says that when it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, so it's about 6 o'clock in the morning, maybe a little before that, they start out for the tomb. And it's Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And they are coming to look at the grave. And an earthquake had taken place. And an angel had come and moved the stone. And if you remember, they were fretting about who is going to remove the stone so we can go in and do what we want to do to embalm the body the way, that's what we would call it, put spices on and wrap them further. You know, how are we going to get in to do what we want to do to show respect to his dead body? When they get there, obviously, the stone is rolled away, and there's someone sitting on it. They hadn't expected that. They were fretting about that. And it says this person that was there, his appearance was like lightning. And his clothes was as white as snow. Can you imagine that? They're coming fretting. It's a little bit dark yet. It's getting light. And there's someone that's brighter than the sun. They didn't expect that. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. I know exactly why you came. He knows exactly what's going on. And here's the one we all like. This is what we celebrate. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Not an imposter. What he said he will do, he did. Resurrection. Think about that. Creation is bringing something into existence that had never existed. Something from nothing. Resurrection is death being made alive again. You don't beat those two miracles. Those are God kind of things. I've said it many times. God doesn't specialize in hard things. He specializes in, in the impossible. That's what he specializes in. 
Miracles. Something that can only be explained by supernatural means. That's it. He is risen. And then the angel says, come see the place where he lay. They go in and they see cloths that had been wrapped around him. No body. See, this isn't simply a spiritual resurrection as some teach. It is a bodily, physical resurrection. His flesh, his bones, his blood that was left in him. It's all gone. What is there is the wrappings. They were simply going to add to that. And then the angel says one more thing. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Remember where the apostles were? Man, they had scattered. This devastated them. He's hanging on a cross. He's dying. They scatter. Go and tell them I'm alive. Wow. Isn't that a great story? No, it's an account. But let's get back to the explanation. Verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Here's what it comes down to. Pastor Paul, go home. What you're doing today or any other Sunday is totally worthless, of no profit whatsoever. Oh, and by the way, everyone in these seats here who has trusted Christ, go home. It's in vain. It's worthless. There's no benefit, no profit to any of us. The fact is, we're going to see we're kind of foolish people. No, we are really to be pitied, it's going to tell us. It's amazing that without the resurrection, we are just a religion. A number of weeks ago, I was on YouTube, and I saw from the British Broadcasting System, or whatever it is, BBC, however that goes, Uh, They did a documentary on Amish. They actually came to Lancaster County, and they interviewed for an extended period of time two Amish families that decided to leave the Amish religion. And in that, it was very encouraging to me to see what was taking place from an outsider's perspective. You know, not somebody that lived around here and has known Amish people and that kind of stuff. Somebody that... It's just really unique to them and kind of exotic. In that process, these two young men and their families had gotten excommunicated from the Amish religion. One of them because he had a Bible study and a prayer meeting. And the bishop said, you can't do that. You're excommunicated. And they threw him out. The other guy got thrown out also. But they said something that was so important. Their wives said the same thing. We used to live in fear because man-made rules said that if we didn't do what the bishop said, we're going to get excommunicated, and if you get excommunicated, you're going to hell. They said, we decided we are going to do what the Bible says. We believe in Jesus. We love Jesus. And we don't live in fear anymore. That's the difference between a relationship by faith in a risen 
Savior who paid all of our sin and gave it to us as a gift, gift of grace and religion. Religion is always fear. It's always based on if you don't do it, you're in big trouble. In this case, praise the Lord, we have a risen Savior who said, I have done it all. Complete, perfect, and finished work for your salvation. You cannot add a single thing to what Christ has done. You can live it out, but you can't add anything. What you can do is believe on Him. Trust what He's done on your behalf. Make it yours. If you're here this morning and you have never trusted Christ, you're missing out on what Easter's all about. You're missing out on the power of the resurrection. You're missing out on the salvation provided by the shed blood of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. You're missing out on that. I challenge you, there is no better time. There's always, it's always a good time to trust Christ. But there's no better time than at Easter to just right there in your seat to say, you know what, I've been playing church a long time and I'm still living in fear and I'm still not sure I'm going to heaven and I'm not sure my sins are forgiven and I'm still afraid. You don't have to leave here that way. Just right there sitting there in your own mind, in your own heart, to say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that Christ died, not only for me, but every single person in the whole world. And I'm trusting you for my salvation. I'm placing my faith in you, and I'm getting rid of my fear. A very literal translation of... Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says this. He who was delivered up because of our offenses, that's Jesus Christ, and was raised up because of our being declared righteous. You see, he died for our sin, but his resurrection makes it possible for us to be declared right with God. All that you can do still lands up in you being afraid. But when he declares us righteous, when you trust him, he simply says, you are now right with me, not because of you, but because of what Christ has done. Then you don't have to live in fear. You can live in faith. You can rejoice in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 15 to say, Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. He said, you know what? If you're not preaching the resurrection, you're false witnesses. Because there were, and we skipped over those verses, there were 500 people at one time that saw Jesus Christ alive and well. There were people that ate with him. There were people that were there when he walked through closed doors. The Apostle Paul saw him on the road to Damascus. He was abundantly verified. It was true. It was verified over and over and over again. But not just one or two people, but by lots of people. It is a proven fact that Christ is no longer dead, 
There are no bones or body in a grave. There are grave claws, but no body. All of those reports that you've seen over the years of they found the the ossuary of Jesus' bones. You've heard that one maybe. If you didn't, it's around. Uh, They're false. That's fake news. Because there were no bones to put in an ossuary. That's where they gathered up the bones after the flesh is gone. There are no bones of Jesus. Because he rose from the dead bodily and is alive and well. That's why we can celebrate. We're not a religion. We don't have a martyr. We have a Savior who's alive and well. And continues on before us. Jesus made it clear that he had the power of life and death in himself. He said, I lay down my life. This is John chapter 10. I lay down my life for the sheep. Just in case you don't know it, we are sheep. He's the shepherd. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Jesus has the power of life and death in himself. In fact is, who killed Jesus? Was it the Jewish people? Was it the Romans? No. Oh, they all tried. They tried their best. But before he actually died, he dismissed his spirit. Wow. You can't do that. But he could. He could have dismissed his spirit and then taken it back again. He didn't do that. But to prove that sin had been paid for, God the Father raised him back up. He said, I have authority to do that. But the Bible says, God the Father raised them back up. And that's important that that happened that way. Because, see, he said, I'm dying for the sins of the whole world. Every single person, every single sin that had ever been committed, ever could be committed. Every person that has lived, is living, or ever could live. Every sin, every person is covered. If there was one sin, one person, one anything that was not covered by the death of Christ on the cross, God the Father could not have raised him back up from the dead. Do you know why? Because he would have had to go to hell like every other sinner. Because he would have still had one of our sins or somebody else's sin still on him. God the Father could not have raised him back up. But because every sin had been paid for, every person had been covered By what he has done, God the Father raised him back up. And that's why we celebrate, one of the reasons we celebrate the resurrection. He goes on to verse 16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Without the resurrection... The death of Christ would have taken place, but you're still in your sins. Because it proved that God had been satisfied. Verse 18 goes on to say, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There's no hope. There's no hope of anything after that. We're just like every other religion. Do your best. Hope hope so. Christianity is not a hope so religion. It is a no-so religion. I can know without a shadow of a doubt that I am right with God and I am not going to perish. I'm not like an animal who dies and 
That's the end. No, that's not us. We have resurrection life. Verse 19 goes on. If we have hoped in Christ, in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. You know what that says? If we have hoped in Christ only for this life, we're to be pitied. So, you trust Christ and you go, you know what, I no longer drink myself silly. I no longer lie and steal and cheat and, you know, do, what, do my own thing. You know what? I, I'm giving up all those things that the world says, eat, drink, and be merry. He said, pity you. You miss the best. Eat, drink, and be merry. The resurrection is not true. Do whatever. Leave here and go do whatever you want to do. Have a good time. Hey, because this is the best it gets. There isn't anything better coming along. But that's not how we live. If we do that, we're giving up those fun things in life. We're to be pitied. We're fools. But we don't live that way. Because guess what? This is only the beginning of life. We have eternal life. Resurrection life. That started the moment you got saved. But it gets better as we go because eventually we're from the presence of sin. Right now, temptation's all around us to do the wrong thing. But if there's no resurrection, hey, give in to all those temptations. You never thought you'd heard a pastor say that. But that's the truth. Man, get it all. You only go around once, get all the gusto you can get. Remember that old advertisement for beer? You know, you only go around once, get all the gusto you can get. I'm not recommending that, by the way. But if there's no resurrection, go for it. It really does explain the world. The world does operate that way. But what is the end result for us? Look at the very last verse in this chapter. We're going to skip a whole lot here. If I did all 58 verses, you'd be here till next resurrection day. Uh, we're not doing that. But the last verse says, so what is the conclusion? Therefore, which means on the basis of everything the Apostle Paul has just said about Christ, his resurrection, his death, and all of that. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren. He looks at them and says, you've trusted Christ. You're my brother. We're in this together. Be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. What's the end result? We're not living for here and now only. We're not to be pitied. We're not just fools because we've given up all the good things in this life. No. He said, be steadfast and movable. Always abounding above and beyond in the work of the Lord. Others need to hear the good news. The good news, the gospel is that Christ died for them. That he rose again. That we can be declared righteous before God. But then he ends with this way. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Don't pity me. And don't pity yourself. Why? Because this is just the beginning. This is the hard part. He said... Don't get down. Don't pity yourself. 
Take a stand. You know what? There are lots of people around you. They might live in your house. They might go to this church. They might work with you. They might be your neighbor. They may be halfway around the world. I don't know where they are, but they need to hear the good news. They need to hear about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our task. I'll tell you what. I used to think before I was a Christian that, yeah, Christian life must be boring and dull and all those things. Boy, was I wrong about that one. (laughs) I knew that before I became a pastor, and it became more apparent every year. Wow, we have a job to do. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know why? It's not in vain. It's looking forward to what Christ has done. That resurrection that we already have, but that we'll see in full in the future. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that you've revealed to us the truth, the good news, the work of Christ, the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ. That is the first fruits of the rest of us. Lord, I pray that you would use this time to challenge us to look up, to move forward, to to live to the fullest for Jesus Christ. Because we have a message that's worthwhile, a message of hope, a message that is the only good news we find in this world. I pray that we would live that way. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning that does not know Christ, that they would realize that their only hope is trusting him and him alone for their salvation. Not only for a life that's worth living here and now, but a life for all eternity that's worth looking forward to. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close out the service, let's stand and rejoice in the victory we have in Jesus. sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope with no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began ash was redeemed only beauty heart was given a name my morning grew quiet my feet rose to dance when death was arrested and my life began oh your grace so free washes over No more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. 
canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested and my life began, oh, your grace so free washes